Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Decade Project on One Heat Minute Productions Patreon. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Um, thank you so much again for all your ongoing support. You guys may be listening to this on Patreon for the first run and late in the year and very early uh, next year in 2024, you may be hearing this for the first time um, on our main feed, but we keep our Decade Projects while they're happening exclusive for our Patreon. So if you love these episodes, you're going to have to be a member to be a part of it. Um, very rarely, uh, folks actually ask definitively as we've started to build this blake i've heard the decade project i've heard the premise i want to be a part of the show for this specific movie usually it's me asking and people having to sort of recollect um but it would be no surprise to you that the creator of the cinephile game um would have a strong opinion about a movie and have tracked it a decade ago and have thought about all the things that we like to think about with this uh the Inventor of the Cinephile game is, of course, Corey Everett. He is a friend of the show. He is with me again, and he's now bringing out his second in the Lil Cinephile series, which is coming out very, very soon. Corey, thank you so much for being a part of the Decade Project for Richard Curtis's About Time. My name is Tim, and this is the year that would change my life forever. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! I just didn't know it yet. My dear son, this is going to sound strange, but there's this family secret that the men in the family can travel in time. This is such a weird joke. It's not a joke. If it's true, which it isn't, although it is. But if it was, which it's not, which it is, how would I actually... You go into a dark place, clench your fists, think of the moment you're going to, and you'll find yourself there. It's going to be a complicated year. It's going to be a complicated life. For me, it was always going to be all about love. I'm Tim. I'm Mary. It's my mother's name. I remind you of your mother. Obviously, I should have thought this through more. Could you give me one second? I'm Tim. I'm Mary. I love your eyes. Do you? I love the rest of your face too. I haven't even looked further down, but I'm sure it's all fantastic. I'm sure it'll be better next time. Well done. Some people make a real mess of it the first time. Oh, amateurs. Some days you want to relive forever. Will you marry me? I think I'll go for yes. Some days you only want to live once. So uninterested in a life without your father. It never occurred to me that I might lose you. I never said you could fix everything. Not without consequences. It's so good to see you. We've never met before. Oh no. What do I do? You have to use it to make your life the way you want it to be. I never know what the future holds, just like everyone else. Catches up to all of us. My son. My dad. Try to live every day as if it was the final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I hope I see you again. You will. My whole life depends on it. That's right. <laughs> I start pestering early and I say, Blake. <laughs> I got to be on the show and I got to talk about this movie, um, which, yeah, has kind of against all odds become one of my and my wife's favorites. Um, and it's yeah. And there's a ton to talk about. Can't believe it's been 10 years. I can't believe it's been 10 years either. And I remember like we haven't done this so much with producers, but Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner are two names that if you really want to go psycho down a rabbit hole, have a look at those two guys and their entire career producing movies. So like 
I'm going to quickly just start listing some names from, and they're, and they're producing partnership, but like as producers, those guys, and I'm going to just go into this sort of their peak, which is sort of the late two thousands um, on, but you, you, oh, actually, no, let's start in the early two thousands. So they produced Elizabeth. They produced High Fidelity. They produced About a Boy, Love Actually, Bridget Jones, uh, Pride and Prejudice, the remake, United 93, Smoke and Aces, Hot Fuzz, Elizabeth, the Golden Age, Frost, Nixon, um, State of Play, Green Zone, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, Le Miserable, About Time, of course, World's End, Um I'm just uh, keeping it. The Danish girl, baby driver, darkest hour, the snowman. Oh my God. I'd love to talk to them about that. Mary queen of Scots, Rebecca. They have been producing so many years and there are so many like bangers in that list. And I remember interviewing oh, yeah. them maybe 10 years ago. And at that time, their career was still pretty intimidating. But when you look at it back 10 years later, I'm like, Holy heck, those guys had an eye for talent and worked, you know, with a lot of big British talent. They work with Richard Curtis. They work with Edgar Wright. Um, they, 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 they kind of had their finger on the pulse. Joe, Joe Wright pretty early, right? Joe Wright too, with early. The Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice. So they, they kind of had their finger on the pulse of what was happening and they seemed to kind of get a lot of these out. Oh, yep. They did atonement as well. So yeah, they're Joe Wright's guys too. So amazing. But tell me about your reaction to this movie, because you've watched it more frequently than I have. And that is more of an oversight for me rather than an intention, because I adore this movie. Um, yeah. So, um, I will say that it's, I, I'm not a big Richard Curtis guy, like surprisingly. Like I think yes. I've seen almost all of his movies. I have not seen uh, The Boat That Rocked, but like most of the stuff. That's is, okay. That's okay for you to have missed yeah. The Boat That Rocked. Okay. Just in all candor. Yeah. But, but most of the big stuff I have seen, but it isn't necessarily, you know, my shit in, in this particular way. And so I do remember About Time Coming Out. I remember it being very unconventionally selected as part of the New York Film Festival, which if you know the programming there, that's very, very unusual that they would play something like this that has this kind of big of a sentimental heart. It's very much a, you know, can type programming of world yes. cinema greats and difficult, you know, material and big splashy premieres. And this just felt very out of left field. And I did not see it there, but it came out a few weeks later um, I just looked it up in the U.S. November eighth, twenty thirteen, which, as we're recording this, almost to the day, to the day ten yeah. years, couple days off. Um, and so yeah, so my wife and I went to the theater to see this movie, and we kind of fell for it right away. And what it's become, which is part of the reason I kind of wanted to have this conversation, is, um, it's become a movie that that we watch once a year. And so it's kind of become a part of our lives and it's become a thing that um, we watch every November because November is when it came out. And so we revisit it every year and it's kind of started to become a tradition in a way that like, you know, in December you watch a bunch of Christmas movies or in October I do horror movies all month. This has become a, ooh, it's November. We're going to watch About Time and kind of creating Just our own... Yeah. Just while the internet is on noir, Vember, right? All this dark, right, you know, right. the depths of human humanity. You're like, you know what? Let's watch about time again so I can feel something, you know? And and just, you know, you got the cozy knit sweaters and oh. the by the water and all that beautiful stuff. And it um I think it maybe would make more sense actually as a New Year's Eve movie for both thematic and because the movie yes. kind of opens that way reason. So like I understand if that's someone else's tradition. But for us, we're like, as soon as November hits, like we're ready for it. Um, so yeah, for us, November is about time season. Oh. Um, and and I, I just wanted to kind of ask you also, like, do, do you have movies that, you know, with Halloween or Christmas, like it makes sense. Oh, I'm watching Die Hard. It's December. Like that makes sense. I'm watching horror movies, October, November. Are there any like Blake selections where you're like, it's Valentine's Day and that means we're putting on Bridget Jones or whatever it's, it's, it is. Like, have you, have you made your own tradition? Yeah. yeah. My wife's birthday is one of two movies every year and usually one that dominates. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay. It's her favorite movie. And she's not wrong. It's a fantastic movie. It's a banger of a cast. It aged, it, it is, it is aged beautifully. And, um, 
Chris Nolan, big fan of 10 Things I Had About You, clearly, uh-huh. um, uh, and has an amazing soundtrack featuring Kay Hamley. And I'm a huge fan of Josie and the Pussycats um, uh, after working with my best friend Maria on her incredible podcast, Josie and the Podcats. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, and yeah, that's that's that. And in Australia, so you guys have like summer movies, but our summer is December through February mm-hmm. rather than your summer of like April um, through to July or whatever it is, or May through to July. So the surfing summer movie, like Point Break is more of like my December Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go surfing. Yep. Like Point Break is around a Christmas movie for me. I know that sounds as bizarre as you like. Um, and so that like the Die Hard is a Christmas movie thing where people argue, no, it's not blah, blah, blah. It's in LA. So it's not, doesn't seem like winter. It doesn't seem like Christmas. Right. That has never been a problem for Australians. Like we're just like, yeah, of course it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Like, it's, warm. Cri- yeah. it's warm. It's hot. Like at Christmas yeah. we're in our speedos and we're going for a swim and surfing. Like my Christmas is lucky enough on my Christmas holiday. Like I, every single day I'm surfing and my kids are at the beach and we're hanging out and very, very rare to not have a beer in your hand um, or some kind of cocktail of your preference uh, by like lunchtime meals and, you know, great days. So yeah, Point Break has turned into that for me big time. Like summer, that's that's like if, if I'm not watching Swayze and Keanu surfing, like that's not summer yet. Like that's, that's, the, that's a big one. But yeah, yeah, my wife's birthday is always that. And then, you know, what's weird is it's just usually... Uh, I, on my birthday, I feel like it's an obligation that I watch heat. Um, and right. that's about it. That's, you know, that's, that's about it. It's like, you know, what do you, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want to watch? Well, it could be time. It could be time. A little, a little treat for Blake, a little yeah. treat for, for dad. When the family's starting to go to bed and I'm like, you know what? I don't need an extra three hours sleep. Why don't I just <laughs> turn on heat at 11 and, uh, and then see what happens. Well, I do like the idea. I mean, the, Part of the other thing that I've realized is there's a lot of movies that are some of my favorites, but that I literally maybe haven't seen in 20 years, 15 years. Like if there's not a reason to revisit or grab off the stack, it becomes a thing that starts getting further away. And it's not that I feel differently about it. It's just that it, you know, what's going to put it on the top of the pile. And so what we've kind of started doing is grabbing a few movies and kind of making these new traditions um, I love that. another one we watch in November is Creed. Just the first one. Oh. We like the sequels, but the first Creed is like, it's fucking winter. It's Philadelphia. Like we're doing it. And so Creed and about time are one. November movies. Great. We have La La Land in December. You know, I, I think it doesn't really matter what the movie is, but I do like the idea of kind of outside of the designated, you know, everyone watches horror movies in October or noir movies in November. I, I'd be curious if any listeners chime in with like, I, I do you joke, have a tradition that's not tied to anything except that's what you do? Yeah. Two things. A fantastic radio show, which this is fucking obscure for anyone who's not Australian, but a fantastic radio show in the early 2000s was called Get This. And it featured a great comedian and also filmmaker, Tony uh, Tony Martin, um, and another radio personality, Ed Cavalli. They both still make podcasts. They're fantastic. I love them. I'm huge fans of both of them. But they would they joked around that, you know, there should be more themed months just in life. And they said, and they started a joke on that show called Capril, like where in April you should wear a cape. So I'm a big fan of only watching superhero movies in April, right? Just like, right. Like pick a month and go Capril, love Capril. And I've been trying to convince one of my friends, like just as a stupid arbitrary thing of like, can we make it Japanuary? You know, where I don't watch anything right, right. except Japanese films. And then it's like, we were joking about some, but I, I love that idea of like off the beaten track, weird months that you just yeah. choose, like, I'm going to do it. And that's what I'm happening. And like, you could, you could probably do like, um, you know, like an actor, you could, you know, pick, you know, you try and play around with like different months for different actors and horror, you know, seems to be October or in the run up to Halloween. It sort of makes sense, but yeah, and, and Noir Vember has taken over, you know, being a crime film fan, it's almost like impossible. But um yeah, I shout out like, Mariah Gates. Yeah, shout out Mariah Gates, bless her. But yeah, like I'm more of like a Japan. I really want to like I'm actually gonna probably do Japanuary this month because I'm like, I think I've got 30 Japanese films in the collection. So I'm gonna have to go and do that. That's what's gonna happen in in January. And I can take them away when we're on Christmas holidays, take a few bits of physical media and you know, just treat myself. And read your children the my first uh, Yakuza movie book coming soon uh, from Little Cinephile. Coming, yeah, exactly. And, and but, you know, Japanuary, just in time for Japanuary. Just, just 
<laughs> Kids, we're gonna watch we're we're gonna watch uh, the Seven Samurai. It goes for about a million hours in your time, and yeah. you're not gonna have any clue what's going on. But you'll come back for the fights, so that's okay. You're gonna you'll come love back it. for the fights. You're gonna love it. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's part of it. Is part of it is just almost like creating these grooves in your brain where it comes to expect something time to something else. But, but I would say, you know, other than the tradition of November, you know, the, the themes of the movie are such um, that basically it's a, it's a movie that I kind of want to rewatch every year. Excuse me. Um, uh, as a reminder uh, to myself to kind of reset and, and remember and basically take away the movie's <laughs> teachings, which are like, Hey, uh, you should enjoy your life because it's happening right now. And it's, yeah. you know, it, it's going fast. And um, yeah, and it it kind of belongs to one of my favorite movie subgenres, uh, which is the movie that takes a fantastical conceit, basically as a jumping off point, basically to explore the idea that you should enjoy your life. You know, yeah. see also <laughs> it's a wonderful life. My favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And see also Scrooged. Uh, had to do it. Scrooged. Scrooged absolutely. What? Yeah. Um, Brett Christmas classic, the I'm family up. man with oh, family. Nick cage, which I underrated. actually I got it. Underrated yes. movie. Good I know. Movie. I know you got to get around the Ratner thing. I think it's a really good movie and cage Money talks. is incredible in it. Money talks. Good movie. <laughs> Rush hour. Yeah. Good movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Rush yeah. hour two. Also it, super fun. And it ridiculous. must be said. So, yeah. And so I think it's, um, so it's a movie I like to go back to for that reason as well. And, um, there is one as other I one you of, just reminded me. Yeah. Of. Yeah. Um, I know it's not popular to say anymore, but Woody Allen is a good filmmaker. Sure. Uh, and his movie Midnight in Paris. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Is, the whole, if only I lived then, but then the people then would rather be some, it's the idea that yes, if only things were different, if I was somewhere else, but my wife but really I, it's, it's you. Yeah. My wife did this beautiful thing, which is that beautiful jazzy, almost like ancient theme of midnight in Paris. Uh, she had, she didn't have flowers when we got married. She had these paper flowers made up and you could decide what the paper had on it, whether it was your favorite poem whether it was your favorite pages from a book or whatever the case may be. And she had the sheet music of that song turned into the flowers for our wedding, which is, we still have because we both adore that movie. So that's a, like, we got married on the 1st of August. So that's a, every year around our wedding anniversary, mm -hmm. we're going to throw on midnight in Paris. Cause it's just so beautiful. And you know, about being in the moment and finding love and it's just gorgeous. And so yeah, also starring Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams, a, a great Rachel McAdams, look at the life right in front of you double feature but she's awful. absolutely she's absolutely horrible in midnight in paris and she's exquisite in about time um oh so good in this should we say like in case someone's listening they're like what is about time yes we... let's do that so yeah. um yeah. so first and foremost if you've never heard of about time um it, it was made in 2013 as all of the decade project films that we are covering um at the age of 21 tim who is played by donald gleason discovers uh, thanks to his absolutely sensational dad, Bill Nye, that he and their family can travel in time and change what happens in their own life. And the conceit is simply go into a dark room, clench your fists, think of the moment in time you want to go to, and you will travel there. And basically, his dad gives him this beautiful, but such a casual cautionary tale about don't chase money. Yeah. You'll end up alone. Don't do this. And he kind of asks his dad, what have you do? He goes, I read, just read every book that I've, I'm a big, big reader. And it's like, man, isn't that just the most, firstly, it's the most beautiful sentiment all the time that I just want to read more. So I'm going to make more time for myself in my life to read more. Um, which is yeah. Read everything twice, Dickens, three times, Dickens everything three a times. man could hope to read. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So his decision of what to do with that power is to try and find the love of his life. And he meets Rachel McAdams um, in this absolutely sensational moment and way. And um, after trying to correct some of the mistakes in the lives of the people around him, he balls it up and has to then rework it out. And uh, then you just get to see him living his life and finding his true love and doing all the things that he can to have the absolute 
you know, just literally squeeze every ounce of juice out of his life, you know, that, and the juice is worth a squeeze watching him. And it's quite beautifully modest, um, in, in, in the way that it goes. I won't spoil too many of the ins and outs and the elements and the more heartfelt moments, but that is, that is the conceit. And at the time, you know, if you have a look at the reactions and responses from critics, it was pretty positive. Like there was a few people just saying like, it's not interesting or affecting. I think they're probably dead inside. Um, but most people were kind of moderately fond of it. Um, I think if you look at like what Rotten Tomatoes, I know we don't really use Rotten Tomatoes uh, in the good way, but if you look at like the top critics, Leonard Malton said it was ingenious and Anthony Lane, you know, says that it's something potentially worth reveling in, but you know, other people might just completely ignore it. Wesley Morris, when he's writing for Grantland, he's like, he's just like Gleason is beyond real. Um, you know, he called out that performance as sort of anchoring it. So it, it really had like a, without an overwhelmingly gushy, crazy response, it had an exceptionally positive response and people enjoyed it. But then just like the glut of anything, it kind of disappeared like in time, despite being a movie that if you haven't seen it stars, it's written and directed by Richard Curtis, obviously four weddings and a funeral, the, the biggest and best, but it stars Donald Gleeson, Rachel McAdams is the love of his life. Mary, it stars Bill Nye. It stars Margot Robbie. It stars Vanessa Kirby, stars Tom Hughes, who's great in a movie called Cemetery Junction, directed by Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant. He's terrific in it. He's a very beautiful young man. Tom Hollander, Lindsay Duncan, Lydia Wilson. Terrific cast. Absolutely. You say Richard E. Grant? Richard E. Grant, yes, he pops in. Um, Terrific cast, phenomenal cast. And um, that's, that's that beautiful movie. Yeah. And it, I mean, it definitely does the Richard Curtis thing of like, you know, surrounding your leads with like the most colorful and quirky and interesting (laughs) characters played by, you know, the most charming, you know, interesting British character actors, you know, for the most part. And, and it's a really deep bench of a cast, which we always love to see in the, in the Netflix three people you've heard of and no one else era, (laughs) you realize, you know, how truly valuable an ensemble cast is when Margot Robbie is like eighth down and granted she was up and coming. Like I understand. And so the movie definitely, it's a thing like every year you put it on and uh, because she's playing sporting characters, like, oh my God, I forgot Margot Robbie's in this. And with it's each like passing year. Own, it's like her only, sub- like, so this year, we've already yeah. talked about on the Decade Project, the Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. And she's a star immediately. Yeah. Margot Robbie yeah. is no longer in the bench. She's yeah. in the starting lineup of any team that she's playing in for the rest of her life. And now with Barbie, I love to imagine Margot Robbie like in a bubble bath uh, as in uh, um, the big short, just sitting there yeah. picking up the phone and saying no and hanging it up because she made a billion dollars this year for Warner Brothers. So she doesn't have to say yes to fucking anything if she doesn't want to. Not, not only that, but here's how here's how I know she's truly living the best life. And Katie may have already shared this with you, Blake, but I, she uh, she did, and I'm glad you're sharing yes, it on this show. Yes, please so, tell please tell the listeners because we haven't revealed it yet. Okay, so. Uh, so Katie Walsh and Travis Woods uh, and myself uh, went to see the Beyond Fest screening of Michael Mann's Manhunter uh, with Michael Mann in attendance for a Q&A. And they made an announcement for the, before the movie. We're so sorry. You know, we were supposed to play this 35 millimeter print and that is not going to happen. And then they were like, because we got a brand new 70 millimeter print we're going to play. And the nerds went wild and it was great. Uh, And it was a great screening, only made better by the fact that as I was walking out the front doors of the Aero (laughs) Theater in Santa Monica, the stunning eyes behind a, you know, like COVID mask that I could see in front of me was absolutely Margot Robbie, who had just seen the movie and hanging out with a friend and, you know, still during the actor strike, not there, just checking it out and, you know, walking back to her car. and, And that was that. But it was it was definitely a like heart jumped into your throat uh to be standing a few feet away and how fucking cool of her to uh <laughs> go to manhunter margot robbie I'm just gonna being let blake Man- have a minute here margot robbie <laughs> being a michael man girly is the coolest shit of all time um she's a fan of man she's a fan of man and you know i think whispers might be starting if they're not already but it's like would she ever want to play Charlene in the upcoming heat too? I think maybe if she wants to work with the biggest filmmakers in the world, cause she can work with whoever she wants. Yep. 
whenever she wants and name her price and they should pay it because she's the biggest movie star in the world right now. Um, yeah, that's, it's the coolest shit ever. It's the coolest shit ever. And also Corey um, plays it really cool in that story, but Katie Walsh uh, tells another story of Corey walking into the foyer and walking over to Katie in sort of a, like a, a heightened state of panic. Like that's Margaret Robbie. That's Margaret Robbie. Margaret yep. Robbie's over there. That's Margaret Robbie. That's Margaret Robbie. Hey, Katie, yeah. look at, and, and Katie confirmed, as you said, unmistakable eyes of Margaret yeah. Robbie. And so many people just in their own, you know, post-religious days of seeing a 70 millimeter director's cut of Michael Mann's Manhunter, which apparently is coming to 4k uh, via studio canal next year, which I'm dying. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. She's the best and a man girly. Um, 10 years later, we've kind of touched on bits and pieces of it, but 10 years later, I, I, I think I've seen this movie when it came out at cinemas. I loved it. I watched it immediately on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever was the physical media du jour of the copy that I received a million years ago. I've now got it on Blu-ray. Um, I watched it many years ago and I'd basically forgotten the ins and outs, but I always remember that I adored this movie. So when you said it, I was like, yes, I just completely missed it in my preliminary list of what we talk about in 2013, but going back to it now, I just, you know, you talk about a deep bench, which it has, and you talk about a phenomenal conceit, which it has. And in time travel movies, the conceit is a kind of everything. It's like, it's like, what is the thing? Are you driving the car? Are you doing the thing? And I love, I love how in the scene that you already referenced, how quickly that scene comes and how throwaway the explanation is and how they go through in two minutes, every question that the audience would say, well, why don't you just, you know, why don't you go kill Hitler? It's like, nope, you can only go in your own life. Well, what about money? You know, should I get that? Nope. You know, your uncle did that. He was miserable, you know? So what do you (laughs) want to do with it? It's like, they dispense with all those annoying, you know, we're just not going to deal with any of that. And truly the explanation of like, it passes down through all the men in the family. You go in the cupboard. You think of a place you're there. It's just like, anyway, on with it. And now we can get onto the story, which is really just, again, the story of like, what do you, you know, how do you appreciate your life? What do you make of your life? Um, and particularly the way that all comes around in the end, uh, which we won't go into yet. Um, but yeah, I, I love that scene. I love the chemistry between Nye and uh, Domino Gleason, And I think, Bill Nye is just incredible in this movie. It's so funny that people, we talk about Bill Nye because A, he's hilarious, right? Like the the challenge with Bill Nye is that he's so funny and so delicious. I want to call him an actor that works deliciously because whatever role he's in, he chews it up. He's always doing these little touches and works and he's thought about it and he's agonized over it and he's tweaking and doing all sorts of these beautiful little dramatic choices or, you know, actorly choices in all of his roles. But this was one of the movies where I saw him in where he was just like the effortless amount of charm that the man has is just like, it's staggering. Like there's no one like him in the world of acting that is anywhere even close to his peer in just effortless charm. He's unbelievable. And in this movie as the dad, he's just sensational. And like how charmed and this is how you know you're a dad and how you're getting older. It's like, how charming is it to go? I read all of everything I wanted to read. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, what, how? And just going back and reliving great days with your kids and watching movies at oh, night and yes. going to the, I'm like, he just, their described, whole, yeah, their whole life by the sea, by the sea. It, in, watching, in Cornwall, which looks beautiful. And they're watching these outdoor movies and they're having tea on the beach. And it's just like this completely idyllic existence. Um, the, the best possible existence of life, in my opinion, is their life. Yeah. It's, like, it's like watching movies at night, doing that. I'm like, you know what? Maybe this summer I need to make sure I take, you know, I've got a projector a spare projector handy. Maybe I need oh, yeah. to take it down to a little holiday spot and string up a string up a screen and just watch watch movies on the outdoors. Like just put up yes. something it just any time of the night, just take down a whole bunch of, you know, and I saw them, they were watching like a, a fistful of dollars or good, the bad and the ugly or something. I was like, maybe I need to take some of those and just chuck them on yes. outside and watch, watch these movies. Um, they are watching, yes, one of the Dollars Trilogy, uh, one of the great spaghetti westerns, also featured in my first spaghetti western coming soon from Little Cinephile. <laughs> um, and and I will say, yeah, I mean, one of the things, obviously, as a movie nerd that you gravitate towards is just the idea of they're just all sitting outside and they're watching this movie on the screen. And, you know, when I saw this in 2013, I lived in a 
375 square foot studio <laughs> apartment in New York City where that was definitely not happening. Um, but now 10 years later, I do have a screen and a projector in my garage here in um, Los Angeles. And I do project movies in there a couple nights a week. And it is um, there is a bit of that magic going in there with my kids to watch movies or with a friend and um, highly, highly during, recommend there's, there's during a different COVID, chemical thing in your brain when, when you, when it's on a screen, even, COVID, even at home. During COVID was the big one for me. Um, I was monitoring this great Australian website, uh, Kogan, who do, you know, their, their big MO is they go and get technology that Samsung and LG use for televisions this is how they started. And they put it together and they sell it in their own kind of packaging, if you like, all the same technology, but sell it in their own packaging for like thousands of dollars cheaper than you would buy a normal television. And they did projectors and I, well, you know, my wife and I bought this house that we're in and I'm recording from and talking to you from today. And, and one of my first choices was like, I'm putting up a projector. It's my house. You know, I don't mind if I put a hole in the roof to do this or multiple holes to have projector yeah. screens that hang down. And so I've got a projector and there was just something, there's just something about it. It's also just the ceremony of it. When the kids are like, usually, you know, a family night, we'll, we'll say we're going to watch a movie. And then it gets even more special when I turn all the lights off and the projector comes down and we're going to watch yep. something big. And then it's like, oh, oh, the projector's on. Oh, this is good. And it's like, yes, this is, you know. This is, it's time for us to watch something a little bit different. Um, and yeah, it is, it is really special. It's, and, and yeah, so the entire life, and I love that because I love time travel movies. They're so good. And the conceits are always fantastic. And I love how quickly this movie sets up the premise and then it moves on yep. because then it's about the actual practicalities of doing it. And from that very individualized and modest thing of like, and the whole movie is about not necessarily the butterfly effects of you changing things catastrophically, but it's like making little choices that tweak interactions and change thoughts. And you kind of get a sense of it, but then it's how you maintain it and what you primarily, what you don't do to exactly have this, to, 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 to maintain like the perfect existence or your conception of the perfect existence. Exactly. And I think, um, yeah. So I, I think that, I, I love that I love that it does a couple things. I love how simple the explanation is and it gets into it. And Domino's character basically says, Well, what I want to do is is find love. The irony being he actually meets Rachel McAdams, you know, it just on his own, uh, you know, yep. for just going out to dinner, bumps into her, they have this connection. And then as you said, he screws it up by trying to fix something else in his life. And then uh, it ends up that he doesn't end up meeting her there. And then his mission becomes, well, now I have to use this to figure out a way <laughs> to meet her. And so their actual meeting when they meet again is like totally different circumstances. So he kind of has to use the power to unscrew up what he screwed up by using it. Um, and then I do like that, that it basically adds a little wrinkle Um which I think for me now actually works on such a great metaphorical level, which is kind of later in the movie, he tries yeah. to, you know, his sister is kind of not getting it together and with this boyfriend that's no good for her and she's drinking and she's getting older and it's becoming more of a problem and she gets into a car accident. And so he tries to go back, you know, with her and prevent this and go to the source and have her not meet the guy or, you know, have her not, you know, get in this accident. And then the, the wrinkle that ends up happening is he goes back home at that point, him and Rachel McAdams are together and they're married and they have a kid and he walks into his house and it's not their kid. It's a different kid. And then he goes to meet with his dad. Who's basically like, Oh, right. Forgot to mention. That's the one thing. The one thing <laughs> is you can't go back and change something, you know, from the moment that the kid comes out, because that will change, you know, the kid that you have. And so it's kind of a clever little, like, we don't want to bog you down up front with that, but once you screw it up, that's the one rule. <laughs> and what I like that it kind of does, you know, metaphorically, it's just thinking about your life is just, you know, I think about like the time that I lived in New York and while I was there, you know, I met my, you know, girlfriend now wife and I worked at a couple different jobs and, you know, it, it like it changed, but more or less like, it all kind of blends together into one lump when it really changes, you know, you get married it's... and then, okay, it's a little more serious and you move into a different place or whatever. But once the kid comes, then it's everything before the life that I had, the freedom I had, the friends I saw all that. Now you're in a new era 
And so I like that the, the device of the movie kind of makes that really the, no, 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 that's the dividing line. Now you're in this era. And if you have a second kid, now you're in that era and you can't go back to before because everything else does, you know, it gets a little foggy. Even once you have the kid, it's like, yeah, they were newborns and then toddlers and it all kind of runs together. But as soon as kid number two shows up, oh, now we're in a different ball game. This is, a, this is not the same, you know, one kid, what a cute accessory. This is now we're a four, a family of four. And this now is a it's different two team. on two basketball and you've got exactly. very high level competitors and you're like, yes. okay, okay. All right. We've got to be on our toes constantly. Exactly. And so I like that kind of thinking your about your life in these chapters and that being the metaphor of like, well, now, you know, you can still use the power, but you can't go back to before this chapter. It's like, yes. now you're all in this zone. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like that. Ten years later, I know at this time of year, especially over whether it's more like Australian sort of summary focused Christmas movies, but it feels like so many streaming services now like wait until this point of the year and they bring out a fresh 20 to 30, basically really cheap Hallmark right. movie level rom-com yeah. kind of garbage Christmas movies. And in the mix, there's probably two or three out of 70 that are okay. And then right. they, they might have some level of staying power. But I I yearn when I see this movie, even though it's not a Christmas movie, maybe I associate it with the later in the year thing, but I see this and I'm like, there's just something about the inventiveness and this is a being a one-off that people chase the drug of it and miss the whole point mm -hmm. of all of those hugely deep and insightful points of like, your life is a series of chapters. When your kids come along, shit is different. You can't go and change who your kid is or before that because you change who the kid is because it's so right. Like the conditions of when you have your kids and what your life is, is dictates so much of who they are and their personality and all those things. And so you can't do that again. And it also has just the brilliance and incisiveness of like, I've seen every time travel movie, so I'm going to just do away with the annoying things that it has just a level of genius. And exactly as you said, it has the deepest goddamn bench of a movie and I think probably in conjunction with Richard Curtis, people wanting to work with him, number one, and number two, um, Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner being the producers going like, you know, you, yeah. for a Richard Curtis kind of movie, we need all, we need great actors. Like, cause otherwise these people will grate on you because some of them are assholes and a lot of them are in Tim's life. <laughs> They're just like, totally, but they, but yes. you have to be charming assholes who you can spend a lot of time with. So yes. I think that the lesson for me, if I'm thinking about this like 10 years later is it really seems like, I don't know. They, I haven't seen anything that's been able to bundle so many different seemingly disparate elements together so harmoniously. And I think that that's what makes about time really, 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 really special. Yeah. Um, it's also sad to think, well, not only is there not a movie like this, Richard Curtis hasn't directed another movie since this. He's, nope. he's, you know, worked on a couple scripts and, you know, a couple things with other directors, but you know, he, hasn't directed a movie in 10 years, which is kind of a bummer Crazy. when you think like this was pretty well received and I think did okay. And um, it was his genre. And, <laughs> like he right. owned I know. Genre. I know. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Like, he owned it. It's from after four weddings and a funeral onward. It's after like four this weddings, kind of feel that was good, a you know, British romantic. I, I think there was a little bit of confusion when this came out because I do think there's an expectation that this is going to be like a love story, you know, and yes. it kind of is for like one act of the movie, but then it keeps going and it goes into, no, no, no. Now they're together and now they're living their lives. And time is just fast forwarding through, you know, the years and kids are coming and things are changing. And so I think the expectation of like, well, the rom-com ends when they get together and then happily ever after roll the credits. And this is like, yes. So they get together <laughs> And then life happens. And and, the <laughs> and thing this that is where it actually me, gets freaking interesting. <laughs> yes. So so the thing that really occurred to me after watching it a week ago was thinking about, so thinking back to 2013, the first time we saw it in the theaters, 
I do remember specifically, so we saw it in early November, probably the weekend that it came out up at Lincoln Square AMC, where I used to go. Um, and there's a scene in the movie where there's a um, there's a band in the in the tube station, in the kind of yes. subway station. They're playing a music and it's kind of during a montage, like the song plays through the montage of them going to work and living their lives in the early stages of their romance. And it's got, you know, street buskers, you know, kind of playing this delightful romantic song. Um, and the reason I remember that hitting incredibly hard for me is uh, the way that I proposed to my wife was by hiring a string trio to play oh. um, this, uh, some songs by this, one of the bands that we love, The Handsome Furs. It was Dan Beckner from Wolf Parade's <laughs> like side project with his wife and we loved it. And so literally having them do instrumental versions of that, putting them in a subway station, going to an anniversary, no, her birthday dinner, uh, she turned 30 and then we went down into the subway to go home and they were playing one of the songs oh, and I asked her to marry me. And so this happened about a week after we saw the movie. And I remember sitting there kind of sweating in the theater, just watching the, you know, the, <laughs> the band playing in the tube station, the movie thinking, oh, wow, that's right on the bullseye for what is coming I just, for me. And so, I just ate Richard yeah. Curtis's lunch. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was already in the works. It was not inspired by, but it was literally happening like uh, that week or a week later. Um so yeah, so it because in, you shared that beautiful in, story with me, I want to tell you another deeply nerdy thing that I did on my wife's thirtieth birthday. <laughs> I right. got into an auditorium in a building that we used to work with because I I knew the people there, and I asked if I could book the auditorium, and I had to go in there, and um, I played her a video on the big screen of all of our mm. friends, um, one of them for whatever reason in the shower <laughs> singing, um, "You're just too good to be true." Um, mm. from 10 things I hate about you. And then I yeah. came out and I sang the rest of Can't the song. Can't take my eyes off you. Can't like my... uh, Heath in the bleachers. Like Heath in the bleachers. And I came down That's from right. the bleachers and sang the song to her for her birthday. So, Amazing. Um, um, so yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know why one of my friends, bless you, Mark, um, was in the shower when he was doing his rendition of that song, but, um, it was fantastic. Uh, it was one of the best. She, she still remembers it fondly. And I certainly remember it pretty damn fondly as well. So that was a long time ago. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, so that's amazing. I actually know a guy online, basically from this movie message board from 20 years ago, who him and his girlfriend, I think they would watch, they would watch love actually every year. And I remember he went into after effects and took the scene with the cards and, yes. and put his proposal in the in movie that they watched on the cards being held up at the door during the caroling scene, speaking of engagement, speaking of romance, speaking of Richard Curtis. Um, and yeah, so, uh, good on, good on him and, uh, good on you for so, romance. If you, if anyone listening also did a movie nerd engagement romance, please I, tag I, I, us, tag us, here, tag us on Twitter, find us. You can do that. That would um, be, we would love to hear. So, so anyway, so 10 years. So we saw this movie, we were still just dating. You know, we, we yeah. were, a, we were a couple of kids. She was not yet 30 years old. Uh, she turns 40 this week. Um, and so since we saw this movie in the theaters, we've gotten married, we've had two kids, we moved across the country. Um, and very sadly last year, my wife's father passed away, which is a big part of this movie. Um, and so in this really crazy way that really didn't hit until this year, because he passed away last year, um, our lives have kind of caught up to the characters in this movie. And, and the, and the, we re we responded to it very strongly initially when we didn't know any of that stuff no. that lay on the horizon for us. And it is crazy to now get to the later scenes of the movie where they have several kids together and they're making the breakfast and they're waking up in the routine of it and the morning of it. And you're going, wow, that really actually is our life. And how lucky are we that, that we're kind of in this place, you know, and yes. even with some of the, um, you know, hardships along the way, it's, it's to think, yeah, it's just, it, it is so weird to find our, our, ourselves. We started the movie at the characters at the beginning, and now we're kind of where the movie almost leaves everybody. Um, yeah. So that's, that's it's, it, and it I, hit hard this year. It's, um, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I'm so sorry to hear that about your wife's dad. Cause you know, I think this is also a, what, uh, 
there's a great there's a great Aussie filmmaker um who actually directed and um I will say this movie because people will know it immediately as I say it um directed Muriel's Wedding. His name's PJ Hogan. Oh yeah, PJ Hogan. Yeah, and great PJ Peter Pan. H- just rewatched it. Um, and PJ Hogan did a like he did another movie later on with Tony Collette called Mental, which I think is a terrific movie as well. And he did it. And when I was talking to him, he called, he said, Blake, there are a movie genre, a subgenre I call male weepies, um, mm. which is that, you know, he's like, and I think that the king of male weepies is the Shawshank Redemption, where you just get guys right. crying their eyes out, you know, because that's what they do. And, and, and I would say a subset of the male weepy genre is daddy issues movie. Like if you've got like dad <laughs> issues right. and I remember yeah. watching this movie and whatever relationship you have with your dad, good or bad, Bill Nye is like the asp, like it's the dad that you wish you were w- yeah. when you're a dad. And he's the dad, like, he's like, he's like bandit before bandit in Bluey for all of those folks who watch Bluey. Like he's the guy that you're like, he's the best fucking dad in the world. He's the coolest. He's the calmest. He seems to have endless amounts of time. Yeah. To be with time, for- patience, always down to play, always you know, to play. just totally. Yeah. Exactly. And so he, he has the effect on you of making you feel so warm and loved. And then, you know, as the, as life progresses, not being around anymore and destroying you. And that's what this movie does. It is an emotional oh. roller coaster, and in the best and most beautiful heartbreaking way. Um, and yeah, he's, oh man, it's magnificent. It's magnificent. And he's magnificent in this movie. One other thing we haven't really discussed yet is the soundtrack, which I do love. And I literally, when November 1st hits, like my wife now kind of expects it, like on the Sonos in the house, first (laughs) thing in the morning, we turn on the music. It's like the Ben Folds piano starts. It's like the about time set. I'm like, it's not just we're going to watch the movie. It's we're going (laughs) to, we're going to prepare ourselves to watch the movie. And you start hearing the songs from it. And it's like, you know, it's about time season. It's like a, a kind of getting inside of it. And I will say the one other, you know, crazy thing is basically my wife's probably favorite artist ever is Nick Cave. And just that little detail of like Bill Nye being like, oh, did you play the Nick Cave track like at <laughs> his own funeral? And it's like, oh, it's just beautiful and funny. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's 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 so, so good. Let's get on to. Besides that, um, what have we learned? from this movie um, uh, and some sliding doors. What we've learned is that Margot Robbie is the biggest star in the world. Uh, and Domino Gleeson is still- a fan of man. She's a fan of man. Um, <laughs> yep. We've learned that Vanessa Kirby is growing into one of the biggest stars in the world and is about to get into a whole other stratosphere when Napoleon comes out a little bit later this year um, from Ridley. Rachel McAdams has since gone along to have like an amazing career, but at this time she was absolutely- totally stratospherically high up you know she's in spotlight best picture winner she's in so many other things like and i think even now what's even crazier is like the memification of rachel mcadams in mean girls and in the notebook and stuff like that like she has a special love in popular culture that is so rare because she's been so diverse and she's so fucking good in are you there god it's me margaret have you seen that yet no no i haven't seen it yet Oh my God. You've got to watch it, Blake. You've got to watch it. Okay. Uh, message me as soon as you have, she's getting <laughs> a lot of like, she should be nominated, you know, for an Oscar type thing, but it's um, the director of edge of 17, which was great. It's produced by James L. Brooks. I love it. Safety's good in it. You've, you've got to see this movie. So is that um, out in the States? Is it really out in the good. States? It's come out. Like, is it available? It came like, out earlier this year. And uh, we uh, haven't got it. it it's it's available to, here. I got to find oh, it. Oh man. you Yes. Um, I want to, uh, Kelly Freeman Craig is the filmmaker's name, uh, yes. who wrote and directed and yeah, James Brooks, um, did it. And that honestly, that is kind of the closest, almost like tonally to this kind of like dramedy. That's very heartfelt, but it's really funny. Um, you are going to love it. I can't wait for you to see that one, I'm gonna, but, that, I'm seeking but it's, it's, a, it's a rare bird for sure. Yes. So she's at, um, she's at a, she's at a massive career. And so the learning is that Besides, uh, besides Richard Curtis sort of almost like disappearing off of the map, um, there is one huge, if you, if IMDB trivia is to be believed, there is one huge sliding doors moment, which is that Zoe Deschanel was cast as Mary first 
and then mm. dropped out. Okay. And I want to say that's great because I'm not the biggest fan. <laughs> Love, you know, all respect is additional. I'm just not the biggest fan. And I think Rachel McAdams is such a better actor in every genre than Zoe Deschanel. It has so much more range. Like to do Mean Girls and The Notebook and then Spotlight and have all of those on your resume as equally massive, huge presence culture movies. And I'm going to forget like 20,000 other amazing movies that she's been in. I mean, she's great in Red Eye. You know, she even pops up in like Game Night and she's outstanding. She's like oh, huge yeah. on the memes in Game Night. She's, you know... Um, She's in a most wanted man, deeply underrated movie, a most wanted man. Um, you know, she's been in passion to the wonder, like she's midnight in Paris. We talked about before red eye is fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, she's, she's awesome. She's just a phenomenal actor. And, you know, she, it only makes you mad when she's in things like Dr. Strange and you're like, why are you wasting Rachel McAdams? So I know. And, and that's the other thing that she really brings to this part is because the other thing that I think I, I do see if it rubs some people the wrong way, if they're like, well, she's not getting equal weight in this story. I mean, the other crazy thing is like, there's never even a moment when he's like, hey, so I have this power where I can travel through time. Like that doesn't come up. Like 99% of scripts, there'd be a third act reveal where he has to like tell her that he has this or, you know, something. But really it's it's not. I mean, and and it, it's it's because the focus is really this. And because is his, his dad journey. says right at the beginning, did you ever tell mom? Oh, no, 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 never tell mom. Yeah. Exactly. And that's right. enough. And so, like, and he listens so, to his dad. He's like, I'll take dad's <laughs> advice. Okay. Okay. Well, yep. Never tell mom. That's fine. And so she is a supporting character in this, but what she brings to it is just so much life and personality and, you know, holding, holding her own with this amazing roster of these British character actors who all make such strong impressions in it. And um, yeah, I understand if people are like, why isn't this a rom-com or why isn't she given kind of equal weight and agency in this? But, you know, movies, stories, they have to make choices. And if every movie were this point of view, that would be bad, you know, (laughs) but as an individual film, I think it is okay to narrow the focus and have, you know, this really be about his, his journey through his life, um, uh, which it is, but she really brings so much to the movie. And yeah, I think it, but that that's, that's a, that's a gift of her is that I understand if people want to go crazy about like, it would be nicer if it was her perspective and cool. Like just remake about time next week. Right. I don't care. Like, and make it with Rachel McAdams and make it doesn't even have to be set in Britain can be set in America and she can be Domino Gleason's character. Like right. next week. I'll like, watch it. Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. And just find a guy, like find love, find this, do that. Like have a whole bunch of the interesting things where it's passed down woman, you know, woman to woman. Like, I'm sure that Richard Curtis would totally be down for someone taking his script and him getting a stack of money for them to remake it in any capacity. But I'm like, it's been 10 years, remake it if you really want that perspective. But I think what's so beautiful is that like the coolest thing ever is that it's a guy who gives his wife an unbelievable life and makes her feel incredibly loved and makes their family life feel so genuine and treasured. And he treasures her and wants her experience and her memories of him to be so perfect that he redoes things that he balls up over and over right. again to make her experience of him and her life to be the most unbelievable and perfect and seamless and awesome. And it's like, yeah. And, like, and yeah. Sorry, and, that, and that it isn't micromanaged as you were kind of saying earlier is the things he doesn't use it for. It's like yes. their wedding day is like kind of a disaster and it's pouring rain and it's windy and everyone is so but that's what the day is. And that's what makes it special to them. And so he kind of asked her like, Oh, do you wish we had like picked another day? And she's like, no, it was perfect. And so it's like, it's like some of that is like, you can't, you can't control everything. And, and, and in real life and, you know, in this film, he comes to learn and, you know, to basically start waiting towards the end of the movie, which as you said, male weepy is like, just <laughs> fucking wrecks me every time. It's, it's the, it's the one, two, three punch. It's the saying goodbye to Bill Nye, which is fucking with the one last run on the beach. And we're not supposed to do this, but again, we're going to bend the rules here is like, Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's number one. Number two, Blake and I both tearing up here just, <laughs> just thinking just, about this just, part of the movie. Just, 
is the um so also if you haven't watched this movie take a pause go watch the movie and then come back that should um, be self-evident i will put it in yeah. the description of the podcast yeah. and for everyone and i might even do like a little precursor is that like we're talking about movies that are 10 years old and and yeah. and, and, and sometimes the and, and this is what i'd say for every movie that we discuss and at various levels of spoilers for every movie they are all worth watching if we've discussed yeah. them on the decade project yeah. because we've got great guests like Corey who come along and we talk about these things that have really resonated and hung around for a reason. Go see it. Yeah. And so, so you've got, you've got the Bill Nye part one, part two is the, um, he starts, you know, once he gets further along in his life and he's got a couple kids and he's got his job is he, he basically decides that he's going to do, you know, what his dad tells him that he, he used it for, which is basically to, um, go through every day a second time. And so you see this amazing montage of him kind of having an ordinary day. He goes to work, you know, he gets a coffee, he's running late, you know, they get a good verdict, but it was very stressful. And a guy's kind of being an asshole in a meeting and he goes home and the guy's headphones are blasting next to him on the train and he gets into bed. He's white, but instead of going to sleep, he gets up, goes into the cupboard and does the day over again. And this time, Knowing the outcome, you know, knowing what the day is going to be, that they're going to win the big case, that, you know, they're they're going to kind of, it's going to be okay. He's able to take every minute detail of that day and literally just kind of appreciate it a little more, you know, give a smile to the girl who's checking him out, handing him the sandwich, make a little joke, you know, at the, when the guy's being an asshole to his partner, you know, kind of make a face so that he, it relieves a little tension there, really celebrate the win, air drum along to the guy who's blasting the, you know, the music on the tube next to him. <laughs> and just like this idea that like, you know, you have the power to choose which version of the day that you want to do. And then the thing <laughs> that really fucking wrecks me every time is when he says at the end of the movie, now I don't, I go one step further than my dad. Now I don't even do each day a second time. And it's the fucking, you know, forehead slap of all time, which is the taking the metaphor out of it and putting it right in front of you on a platter, which is to say, Hey, you fucking dummies. We all have this power. You yeah. actually only need to go through the day once to appreciate your life and try to make the most of it. And the way it arrives there is like such an emotional punch in the guts for me. And that's really the reason that I watch it once a year and try to remind myself as you get caught up in the stresses of life and the goings on and the things that you spend your energy on is to really never lose sight of, um, you know, life is precious and it can be this wonderful journey and it's what you make of it and uh, make the most of it. Yeah. There's, there's something so, and you try and do your best in work situations that are stressful and things like that. But there's one thing that I've about time did my own life is like, when I get home to see my kids and I did this was, I don't know if you've played this game, like Bluey taught our kids this game, Corey, which is like, what's your, what was your favorite thing today? Tell us about your favorite mm. thing. What was your favorite thing of the day? And it probably took two to three years to sink in. But most of the time my kids go, dad, what was your favorite thing? And I go, when I walked in the door this mm -hmm. afternoon and I saw you. That was my favorite thing. And so now I could have had a fucking horrendous day. I could have had that day, but like without a win, even that you're sitting on the train and right. someone who has horrendous BO and you're like, ugh, and, or like someone's talking on speakerphone loudly next to you. And you're like, get right. a pair of headphones please, yes. and the trains are late and People are texting you on your work phone, like after hours asking for 25 things that need to be done yesterday. And you're like, okay. But when my kids hear me unlock the screen door at our house, I have two voices go daddy and run to the front door. And then everything's okay. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that matters. 
all of that shit yeah. falls. If um, I may as well just be wearing like a huge, uh, like a huge like backpacker's gigantic satchel of all the stress, and they come to the door and I just drop it. It's just gone. Kids are there. Come in and I see my wife and whether I make dinner or she's already made dinner or whatever. I'm like, that's that's all. That's all I need. That's that's my that's my that's like Superman flying up into the sun. That's all I need. Like nothing else matters. And I think if you can do chip away at those other parts of your day to try and make those moments nice and say an extra thank you or give an extra smile or be a bit more appreciative, you can have some pretty fucking outstanding days. Um, but that that particular and, thing is is and and just realize how fleeting it all is. I mean, certainly it's like the older you get and the way that human beings scientifically process the way that time passes. And when you're young and a day is forever, and then all of a sudden it's been 10 years since this movie came out and you're two kids later and they're growing up so fast as, you know, everyone always tells you, oh, they grow up so fast. And when you're a kid, you think, yeah, whatever. Like I've been alive forever and it's, you know, it, it, it's so long. And, but when you're a grown up and the kids are growing up so fast, you're like, oh no, you really do perceive it differently. And, um, and so you just play the mental game of like, wow, if it were, if it were all gone tomorrow and, and you got the chance, Hey, what you, what would you like to do? And it would literally be, it would be exactly in this movie. I'd like to go back to just an ordinary ass day with my family yes. and just spend it with them. And so, Hey, guess what? Try to enjoy it while it's <laughs> happening, even as tough and trying as that can be um, at times. And so, yeah, and, I just and, love and the simple the pleasures. lack of cynicism in this movie. And um, I get I, I get people who are like have their defenses up, you know. And I think most people probably do. And you watch a movie like this, and if it doesn't work on you, it's because those walls are up. Although I'd be curious, people who maybe watched it ten years ago, if they were younger. If they do have kids now, if they revisited, you know, or have had a parent pass or had any of these things happen, I wonder if they'd feel differently. You know, people who maybe it didn't click as much the first time. Um, but but yeah, I really respond to the open heartedness of of the movie's mission. And uh, yeah. And the days that you remember are those days, a summer holiday. Yeah. Just being at home, getting up and having tea, going for a walk together, breakfast together, a movie together, just a nice meal together, a crazy uncle who's over to visit who falls out of his chair, who forgets your friends' names, all of that. Seeing seeing Manhunter on 70 millimeter and making <laughs> eye contact with Margot Robbie. The ordinary days, Blake. Just so maybe my kids aren't there for all of it. Can I just have a little nightcap at the end of the you day? You can have a nightcap. Okay. That's okay. All right. That's okay. All look, right. look, my kids weren't there when I saw Streets of Fire um in a little beautiful theaterette. Um, and I felt it was a religious experience, but that's okay. Amazing. It's not every day that you do you do that. Oh, and but my kids were there, might I say, Corey, when my friends, Corey, Travis, and Katie all saw a 70 millimeter personal print of Michael Mann's Manhunter without me. Um, so <laughs> they were, you know, you can have those moments. That's where you need your family. You hold them close yeah. and you go, My friends are having so much fun. God damn them, but that's okay. <laughs> this was yeah. a bit. Blake's male weepy was not being at the Manhunter screening. <laughs> That's it. Holding his kids and and crying. They're like, Dad, what's wrong? <laughs> well, Kate, Katie was kind enough from showing. Katie uh, sent me oh, a got Beyond the Fest card. card and a T-shirt. Amazing. Oh, so that was beautiful. But look, man, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this absolutely stunning and beautiful movie. And um, if you haven't seen it, do it. And I really like November because for us, I don't know, like especially in Oz the wind up to the end of the year. And I imagine for you guys with like in the States with like Thanksgiving and then the holiday season and, and, you know, different time people take work off. But for us, this time of the year is particularly like, it's a grind because it's like, Oh man, like my, my daughter is uh, a 22nd of November, Bubba. So like her birthday's coming up and then the last few fleeting weeks of school are happening and the last few yep. fleeting weeks of work are happening and everyone's really frantic and there's lots of events. Some of them are, things that you want to go to and other things are kind of more like obligatory things that you have to do. And you go through this whole motions of like, Oh my God, there's just so much on and there's never enough time. And I feel like almost like, yeah, I think November must be the perfect about time season because it's like, you just have to just, if you just take a breath and if you can be energized and 
inspired and have a little bit of like a, a, an extra smile and an extra skip in your step after seeing this movie, then the grind of getting into the end of the year is going to be so magical. You can turn it into magic for yourself. And then you get to have a holiday with your family and live the dream days. Days at the beach, nights watching an outdoor screen projection of a spaghetti western or a, J- a Japanese film um, uh, uh, out there for in preparation for January, um, or in preparation to buy a little cinephile part two. So, very exciting times. Very exciting. Corey, thank you so much for doing this. This is great, and I loved your suggestion. And it's just sad that we're not going to have an about time to talk about next year, but. You'll have to get thinking hard about what's in 2014, what's coming up in the 2014 a year that's uh, a big Corey Everett movie so we can get back together and talk again. I can't wait. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.